Welcome to The Hormone Suite, where we talk about all things hormonal and how our hormones can positively or negatively govern our lives. We examine the intersection between our external and internal environments and empower you to become hormonally literate. This podcast was created to demystify and destigmatize hormones so that you can become part of a new generation of people who are the masters of their own health. I'm Talia Minot. And I'm Gemma Martin. And we're very excited for you to join us on this journey. This week's episode of the podcast is sponsored by The Hormone Suite, your one-stop clinic for hormonal health and fertility. You can find us at thehormonesuite.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm Gemma Martin. And I'm Talia Minot, your co-founders of The Hormone Suite. This week, we are going to be talking about what a normal menstrual cycle looks like and how to detect if there's something abnormal or needing some work with your menstrual cycle. I think this is such an important episode because we're now at a time where those things that have been normalized for probably centuries, we're now beginning to recognize that they're actually not normal elements of a menstrual cycle. But first, before we do that, do you want to give your hormonal hail and hormonal fail of the week? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think my hormonal hail and my hormonal fail are the same. (laughs) So (laughs) I've had my period back for about a year and a half since I had my second baby. And um, you'll probably get to know that my menstrual cycle challenge is with the luteal phase, it's with PMS. So I can get pretty grumpy. I feel like a different person the second half of my cycle. It's like the old adage that the the plumber's house has got the leaky pipes. Well, I'm the naturopath with the crappy hormones and I've been to see other people. I've been to see other naturopaths. I've been to see my GP. I've been talking to other people. And in the back of my mind the whole time I've been like, you need to take Don Quai. The last time you felt amazing with your cycle was when you were taking Don Quai when you were trying to fall pregnant. So finally, I got around to ordering myself some beautiful herbs and my herbs arrived and I had the best cycle in years. Like it was so beautiful. I was like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit titchy. I must be about 10 days out from my period. And I had a look at my app and I was like, oh, it's during three days. And I actually, that was the only day I had any sort of niggling premenstrual grumpiness. And so, I mean, I think my fail is, is the same. It's like, oh, I let it go on for so long and I know how to fix these things, but I just let it go on and on and on thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest, but here we are being honest. That's my hormonal hail and fail in one nice little package. How about you? Firstly, I love that you actually knew all along and you're trying to outsource like, what's going on? What can I fix? And then you just listen to yourself and you had the answers, of yeah. course. <laughs> um, okay. So my hormonal hail, I think is, this might be, well, I think it's always going to be TMI with our podcast. I finally have my libido back. So second time round, my youngest is nearly two and I've just gotten my cycle back and I have literally had zero libido this time round. And I was like, fuck, is it just gone forever? But now that my cycle's back, I'm like, oh heck, I actually have a libido. I feel very womanly again. (laughs) Yay, how exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And my hormonal fail is quite hilarious. So with my clients, I usually say, 
if they're checking cervical mucus to bear down first thing in the morning when they go to the toilet so that when they wipe, if they don't feel comfortable with sticking fingers in and checking the mucus, that when they wipe, it will be on the toilet paper. So the other week I bared down first thing in the morning and I was like, oh, I must be near my peak day, which the peak day is when you have the most cervical mucus and it's like egg white. So I bared down and I wiped and I had so much peak cervical mucus that it was like a freaking slippery slide, but then all the mucus just went up my back. And I think I like, I let out a bit of a scream. I was like, ah! and Scott, my partner was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, nothing. And it was definitely a bit of a cleanup to happen after that. <laughs> you got your libido and your excellent mucus all in one shot. There's your body saying it's time for a third baby. Oh, yeah. So let's start this episode. Let's go. I think it's probably important just to frame this conversation with the idea that we've been trained or misguided into thinking that a lot of abnormal period symptoms are actually really normal. So the way that periods are depicted in the media, on movies, even period ads, is always like this woman can't ride a bike because she's got period pains or laying in bed for three days because she's got such heavy bleed. And whilst that might be common, it is not normal and it's not healthy. And I think that can be a bit of a challenging thing for women to realise sometimes because maybe in their the culture of their family, that is really normal. All of the women have really bad period pains or such heavy periods that they're out for a few days at the beginning of, beginning of their cycle or they're so PMSy, you know, that everyone just avoids them for a week before their period. But those things are all signs. They're all little red flags, they're they're your body shouting out to you saying, hey, something's not right. And can you imagine how hard your body must be working? If you've got a heavy bleed, how hard you must work every single month just to regain all of those blood cells that you've lost, just to then go and lose them again the next month. Like you're working not just with iron, but all of your protein, your amino acids, your fatty acids, all of those things, you're going to have to have so much more of because you're a leaking bucket. So every month there's just more and more dripping out. And that's just with a heavy bleed. So those those ideas about the way that our periods should be, I think we need to start to reframe. And I think it is starting to change the way that we relate to our hormonal cycle. But really just sort of starting to think, okay, if I'm getting a lot of pain, that's a sign. If guys were getting ball pain every month for five days, I think there'd be a little bit of a different attitude towards that and there might be some more solutions aside from just taking the pill or naprogesic, which is not a great long-term solution. There'd be people looking into it a little bit more. What do you think that is? Why do you think that these things have been normalised for so long? I think that it is because if you don't experience it, you just don't know. Mm. And the medical system has been primarily run by men And I think that that means that we're going with a whole bunch of symptoms that they just can't picture. They're kind Mm. of just going, you're crazy, you know. But the same thing has happened with irritable bowel syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome. They're all historically have been like, you guys are crazy. And then enough people, there's enough groundswell of people coming to their doctor with the same cluster of symptoms that they're like, hold on, let's make it a syndrome. This Mm. is definitely a thing, but we don't know what's causing it. Yeah, so so interesting. I just thought, yeah, I'd ask that. So let's talk about what a healthy cycle approximately looks like. So in terms of our length, we're looking at around 26 to 32 days per cycle. And it's okay to have inconsistency like once every six to 12 months. But if you're getting that inconsistency 
month to month or three months in a row, then that's showing you that there's something going on. And by inconsistency, I mean really short cycles or really long cycles. So beyond those parameters of 26 to 32 days. Yeah. How long is your cycle usually? So interesting. I've always had a longer cycle. So last month it was actually 34 days and then the month Sorry, two months ago it was 34 days and then last month it was 30 days. But I'm just coming back into my cycle post breastfeeding. So it is definitely in that normalizing stage mm. at the moment. Yeah. And how about you? I've got a really short cycle. So I vary between 22 and 25 days. It's definitely a thing. I think it also reflects like how I do life. I kind of do life really fast and it's like I'm at a stage in my life where I'm really trying to consciously slow down and avoid stimulants as much and avoid stimulating activities as much and working on balancing my menstrual cycle with my herbal medicines as well to bring things back into balance because I just feel like that is it's too it's too hasty, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you also have PMS for 10 days out of that cycle. It's a very very narrow window of, of goodness in there where you're feeling really great. So we're not perfect. Um, we're working on our hormones and there is a lot of variation out there, but that short cycle for me is a real indicator that something's not right. I'm, I'm probably a bit too stressed or I really need to balance out my estrogen progesterone ratios so that I can actually get back into a little bit more of a healthier balance. Yeah. And I feel the same with when I have those longer cycles and like you kind of alluded to at the start, I think the coolest part of all this is that our cycle is a monthly health report card and men don't have anything like that that is happening every month at a certain time to be like, okay, if this is a little bit out of whack, there's something going on, which is awesome to know because you can refine. Yeah, and I guess in lots of different areas of health, there are the canaries in the coal mines. And I think women are really the canaries in the coal mine when it comes to environmental toxins and those sorts of things because they impact our hormones Mm. and our menstrual cycles, but also stress levels, you know, other things environmentally that are going on are really impacting us. And we do, we have that, it's like a, it's like looking at an ECG report, you know, it's like blip, blip, Mm. blip. And we can really see the rhythmicity and the intensity and all of those other aspects of the period or the menstrual cycle are giving us that like you say, a report card back that's going, what's going on? How are we interacting with ourselves? How are we interacting with the environment? And is this okay for our body or not? Yeah, awesome. So during your cycles as well, it's not uncommon to have a cycle that is absent. I usually say one cycle every 12 months that may be absent is okay. But if you're experiencing any more than that, it is probably a sign that something else is going on. Do you want to tell us what kind of things can be occurring with absent cycles? Mm. Yeah, I mean, even one absent cycle, I would say that there's something going on there. Like Mm -hmm. someone who misses a whole period, I'd be thinking, oh, have you been really, really stressed or just go on a big travel experience or something something going on? Because even that is an indicator of, of something abnormal. But you can have absent cycles outside of those stress periods. So Certainly after coming off the oral contraceptive pill is a big time that a lot of women are finding that they're taking a long time to get their cycle back. Yeah. And that can take up to two years. Yeah. Women, when they're going on the pill, are never told. And a lot of clients I see will come off the pill a month before they want to fall pregnant. Mm. And then they're like, oh, shit, I'm not getting my cycle back. And it can take up to two years. Yeah. That's not obviously not everyone, but, you know, it's important to know these things. 
Yes, so the pill really just switches off all of your natural hormonal rhythms. And of course, parts of your brain that control your ovarian hormones are like, great, I'm having a nap. I'm going to have a big old long nap. I'm going into hibernation. So that can take a bit of time and sometimes a little bit of help to get that cycle back. There's a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea, and this is basically undernutrition or overexercise. And again, it puts your body into such stress that the brain says it's not safe to conceive right now. And so you don't actually have to be severely underweight for this to happen, but undernutrition or under your set body weight, what your body wants to be at in terms of body fat and body mass. Obviously, during pregnancy, you don't have a cycle, although some women can have a bleed or two in there, and it can be a bit of a shock for them to find out that they are pregnant. Uh, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, some women will completely use, lose their period or they may only get one or two periods a year. And then also once menopause occurs, so after the cessation of the menstrual period, there, you know, then there's no period there. Mm. So let's chat about the flow and how much flow is considered to be normal. It can be a little bit tricky to measure your flow. And I think the easiest way to do it is definitely via menstrual cups. There are also, if you're using pads, tampons, sponges, there's little examples online that you can find that give you an approximate meal, but we want to be seeing a flow that is healthy to be roughly between 25 to 60 slash 80 mil. So you think about a menstrual cup and they're roughly 25 to 30 mil. So if you're filling up one of those three times in in your cycle in those first three days, then we would be considering that a pretty heavy bleed and we want to be looking into maybe why you're bleeding that much. Again, on the other side, if you're filling that up like a quarter of that over the whole course or over two to three days, probably a bit on the light side. Yeah, definitely. I think it's more common that we see heavy periods, do you think? Do you see more heavy periods than light periods? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, more common we're seeing heavy bleeds and a lot of women, I think, have these really heavy bleeds and they think, oh, this is totally normal. Like, I think super tampons are a sign of abnormal bleeding. And I, and again, I think this is a bit challenging for some people to hear about because it has been there normal for so long, but it to me it indicates a hormonal imbalance or a prostaglandin imbalance or something else is going on there with the microvasculature that's causing this excessive bleeding. And a good little emotional part to that, which you can kind of see what's going on for you, is if you finish your bleed and you're in your follicular phase, your energy should be rising during that time. But if you're going into that phase really depleted and you've actually rested during your bleed or menstruation phase, if you're going into that and you're feeling like energy isn't rising, it may be a sign that you've probably had a heavy bleed and you're actually losing a lot of those key nutrients that Gemma was talking about at the start. And what about spotting? What do you think about spotting? So I don't think any spotting is a sign of a normal cycle. The only time I would be okay with seeing spotting is if there has been implantation. Yeah. Okay. So you can get when you first fall pregnant, you can get implantation spotting when the embryo lands down into the uterus. I sort of say like a little show, like the day before you're getting your period, you might get this tiny little drop of blood that you see when you wiping when you do a wee yeah and then your full period comes the next day but a lot of women experience you know two or three days of spotting before their period they might have a normal period and then cease it and then have another couple of days spotting in that follicular phase but it's really showing and even some mid-cycle spotting hey I yeah. see with clients yeah definitely. sorry you go it's showing 
Yeah, well, it's showing that there's a hormonal imbalance or the endometrium is not being able to be maintained in that second half of the cycle. Like there's something going on with that spotting and it's usually pretty easy to fix. So what about period pain? Oh, this is such an interesting one. So just like personal story, I had dysmenorrhea for I think over 10 years, which is really painful periods. And I was one of those people that went to my doctors and was like, yeah, this is completely normal. Just have an aphrodisiac. And the pain was so bad that one doctor actually recommended that I take an aphrodisiac four days before my cycle was due and just continue it throughout. And I thought that was a normal part of my period. I was like, oh, it sucks, but it's just normal. I've got my period. So yeah, period pain is not normal. However, I usually say to clients, 30 to 60 minutes of light cramping when your period just starts is okay. And that's just the uterus contracting while it's starting to uh, shed the lining. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like some awareness that you've got a uterus, certainly. Maybe a little bit of lower back ache, something that you can put a heat pack on, have some chamomile tea or ginger tea, something that can be managed without a pharmaceutical intervention, I think is probably a good indicator of like, hmm, that's okay. Mm. But then beyond that, when you're starting to take Panadol or Naprogesic or, you know, some women take stronger medications even with their period pain is indicating that there's an excess level of inflammation going on there. Endometriosis is a, is a massive source of period pain. You can have period pain and not have endometriosis. You can have endometriosis and not have period pain. But, you know, the time to diagnosis for, for endometriosis is something like 15 years. So yeah. women go to their doctor Maybe when they're 16 or 17, oh, I've got period pain. They end up on a pill. They end up on NAPRO or whatever, you know, medication. And when they're 30 or 32 or 35, they're finally getting diagnosed, usually because they're thinking about having babies. Again, it's a little bit crazy that they go through that many years of pain before someone finally goes, hey, maybe there's actually something functionally wrong with this person that needs addressing. Hopefully there's a shift with that because I know we're both definitely seeing a lot more endometriosis patients. So, yeah. I'm hoping there's a shift with that. Mm. And what else in terms of a um, healthy cycle? PMS is definitely a thing which I'd love to chat to you about because I'm so intimately aware of it. It's my it's my little friend that I have. <laughs> so PMS or PMT can start anywhere from when you've just first ovulated. There's actually a little bit of mini menopause that occurs after you've ovulated where all your hormones drop off and you can feel pretty crappy. But then for a lot of women, they just notice that point, oh, I've ovulated and now everything's going to be crap for a couple of weeks. Or it can, you know, sort of start one to two days before your period. And again here, I really think we are not robots. We're not supposed to be the same and perfect every day of our menstrual cycle. We definitely, our hormones change the way that we feel. But those changes, I think, should be sort of like subtle and mild and a bit sort of like, oh, I feel like snuggling on the couch with a book instead of going out in my heels and short skirt or whatever that you might feel during ovulation. Not that, oh my God, I've just destroyed my relationship again this month. That's <laughs> just what happens for me. Um, or, you know, your boobs are so sore or the cramping starting before your period or you've got those headaches that occur before your period. Like all of those are signs that there's an imbalance that needs rectifying. And they these conditions are all 100% manageable with the right treatment and the right diet and sometimes some herbal medicines. I think we've sort of been sold a death wish sometimes, but I, I, I 100% refuse to accept that. Mm, totally. It's just sometimes really small tweaks and refinements to just sort these things out, which is cool. Uh, so the next thing in terms of a healthy period is cervical mucus, which I freaking love this topic. 
So you roughly want to be seeing cervical mucus for around three to six days. The amount is really dependent on the individual, but there's three types of the cervical mucus. First, you have like a day after your bleed and up until ovulation. So you've got your sticky type first, then you've got like a moisturizer type and then the egg white type on the peak day, which is the day of ovulation. After you've ovulated, your cervical mucus dries up. For some women, they might experience just a tiny bit, but it definitely is not the same consistency and amount that you will experience in that leading up to ovulation. Mm. And a lot of women don't notice their mucus so much. Like I know that for me, I wasn't really aware of it until I started trying to fall pregnant. And then I was like, oh, wow, like I'm actually getting fertile mucus here. I'm getting that egg white mucus around ovulation. But prior to that, I'd never really seen it. And I was 35 and a naturopath. So it wasn't like I shouldn't have been aware. I just, Mm. just didn't pay attention. So I have a funny story with that. I never knew what cervical mucus was. And I think that's why I love it. Because when I learned about this, however many years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what it is. And I worked for quite a few years in a shoe store in Melbourne. And I remember one day, I must have been on my peak day of mucus. And I was like, and I thought it was arousal fluid. So I was like, what the heck? How am I getting aroused by these freaking shoes? I mean, they were really sexy Nike sneakers, but (laughs) I was like, what is going on? And then when I learned, I like reflected back on that day and was like, oh my God, wasn't aroused by the sneakers. (laughs) It was cervical mucus. So you don't have a shoe fetish? (laughs) Well, I don't think so. (laughs) Right. Well, and what about other symptoms? I've seen lots and lots of patients who have get hormonal acne. So Mm -hmm. it can occur all month. It can just flare up premenstrually. It can, they can have an ovulatory sort of outbreak, but it's really quite common hormonal acne with the cycle and sometimes other symptoms like hair growth as well. So a lot of our women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome will also get a little bit of darker hair growth, maybe around like their top lip or around their jawline or sometimes on their nipples. It can be in different places, but that's also a sign that hormones are a little bit out of whack. We might have a little bit of excess of the male sex steroid hormones over the female ones. Anything else that you can think of? Yeah, I see quite a few patients with migraines, headaches, which is generally in that luteal phase, and also I think extreme bowel changes. Mm. When the prostaglandins are doing their thing just before you actually start bleeding, sure, because everything's cramping up, there's a chance that you will go to the toilet and do a poo but I think when people are having those really explosive poos Mm. happening around that bleed the really explosive diarrhea poos Mm. are a sign that there's something going on do you find it's often endometriosis related yeah it can be Mm. um yeah 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 I see that for sure too I definitely when I start start seeing those really significant changes with the bowel movements I'm like oh I wonder if it's there I mean I don't want to freak anyone out certainly But it it does make me think, okay, if we start doing some treatment on reducing inflammation in this person's diet and changing their hormones a little bit with some herbs and things, and that persists, then I think, oh, maybe there's a structural something going on there. So if you're someone that is experiencing anything that you think is outside the abnormal range, feel free to book in a complimentary call with us and just have a chat. It's a 15-minute free chat or book in an initial consult and we can go into a bit more depth about what might be going on for you. 
Yeah, definitely. So you can go onto our website, which is thehormonesuite.com, or you can email us, hello at thehormonesuite.com, and we can get you booked in, or you can give us a little bit of a lowdown on what's going on with you there, and we can get back to you and let you know how we work and whether we might be helpful for your condition. And yeah, we can't wait to meet you. But before we go, Talia. Oh, I forgot this, Millie. <laughs> we uh, we want to share with you the things, the cute things that our kids say because they're just too funny not to share with the universe. Can you go first, please? Okay, I have two, which are a bit hilarious. So when we launched our business, we decided to do it on New Moon. And I was saying to my partner and my son, oh, we should have a launch party. And I've always wanted to do vulva pancakes, uh, vulva cupcakes, not pancakes. And I was like, oh, we should create some vagina cupcakes. And my son, who is four, said to me, what? Can we eat vaginas? And I looked at my partner straight away and I said, he's four. He's four because I knew what was going to come out of his mouth. And we had all had a bit of a laugh. And the other <clears throat> thing, so the other day, my partner and my son were making a little teepee in the backyard out of beautiful branches and sticks and all the fun things. And I was working and I came out of the office and my son, again, my four-year-old ran up to me and he said, mom, do you want to see my teeny peeny? (laughs) (laughs) And I just had a little giggle and I was like, maybe don't tell anyone else that darling. And he has continued to call that it ever since. So I have, my parents came over the other day and I was like, ask him what he wants to show you and what's down there. He's like, do you want to see my teeny beanie? (laughs) So cute. And can you tell me yours? All right. I've got two as well. One of them is just the cutest little thing. My two and a half year old, I was carrying her inside the other day and I was just telling her how special and important she is to me. And I said, oh, Rooney, you're so special and important and I love you. And she goes. And I'm a little bit beautiful. <laughs> oh, the darling. Yeah. And the other one is the four-year-old. Oh, my God. They're so funny. Last night I was making some baba ganoush, which if you don't know what baba ganoush is, it's a really yummy eggplant dip. And it's got heaps and heaps of fresh garlic in it. So I didn't think the kids would be that into it. But they were really helping me make it. And it was really cute. And yours is delicious. And mine's pretty good. Anyway, Ishgar, my oldest, started dipping her crackers into it. And she just turned around and she looked at me and she goes, oh, it's fucking delicious. And I was like, what? She goes, fucking delicious. <laughs> Which is exactly how I would describe something that I really love. And I was like, okay, I've got to get that one on video. I love it when they use swear words, but like in perfect context, it does crack me up. Yeah, she doesn't actually swear, which is surprising because I swear a bit, but I must really only swear about those things that I'm really emphatic about, like mm-hmm. food, because the only times she's sworn really out loud, well, to me anyway, is about the food and then about a really strong smell. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I love it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day. Bye. Okay, sexy hormoners, that's it for us this week. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. And if you need more help with your hormones, we're always here for you at the Hormone Sweet Clinic. You can find us at thehormonesweet.com or on Insta at the Hormone Sweet. Bye. Bye.